Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Radio's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Nathan Hurst. This is Before the Box Score, your Where Did Our Athletic Director Go edition of this show. Um, obviously, the esteemed Sam Snelling and Josh Batica uh, just put out a podcast from uh, last night talking for about an hour about the athletic director departure that we are going through. So long, Desiree Reed, Francois. This is the football podcast. We're going to talk about football, but you can't help but talk about the athletic director, too, since, you know, she's part of the football program, or at least she was. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the other big news. That's a bummer. And we're going to talk about spring football, which is around the corner. Nathan Hurst, temperature check. How are you doing today? I'm doing better today than I was uh, 24 hours ago, that's for sure. Just get, get that shocking news thrown on you. Not really the, the most exciting or or positive news that kind of has some, you know, immediate, immediate negative reactions get a little worked up. Um, but I've kind of been able to, to, to cool a little, cool it back down, cool the temperature a little bit back down. I'm still disappointed, uh, of the, the news of, uh, Desiree Reed Francois leaving. I thought she was doing some really awesome stuff. Uh, and it really had the, the entire athletic department, not just football, but especially football, um, pointed in the right direction. Now, did she have a lot of help in doing that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, uh, it takes somebody to drive the boat and I thought she was steering it in a direction that, you know, hadn't been steered in a while, if ever, if ever, in terms of the overall trajectory. So it was, a it was a surprise for sure. A shock, maybe based on where she was going to hear the news. Um, um, was I surprised if you would, if I woke up yesterday and before I heard the news, you told me she was leaving to go somewhere. Would I have been shocked? No, she's a, you know hot name on the on the job market for ad's i have to think she flirted with usc which probably is a a better job than mizzou for being uh i mean all the it's la that's where she's from the west coast but she flirted with it she did she didn't didn't you know didn't go anywhere beyond that um so if you know if some other big big name school had, had come in and swooped her up out of and i would not have been shocked but to hear that she was going to a place like arizona that um is really in pretty dire straits financially, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in, in the red at this point, um, is, uh, it was, it was a surprise. It was definitely a surprise. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm now looking at myself. If you're concerned, I'm wearing a Tennessee shirt. I'm not a Tennessee state champ shirt via rock and radio. Um, that's right. Don't forget Missouri beat every, uh, power five, well, I guess. FBS uh, football team in the state of Tennessee this last year. Don't forget that. It's a very important point. No other, no other team has done that before. Um, so back to Desiree. Surprise. Yes. Landing point. Shocker. Yes. Uh, as you uh, so eloquently pointed out, Arizona is multiple hundreds of millions of dollars in debt due to a, uh, a, a, a spreadsheet error, if I remember correctly. Um let alone the fact that they're jumping off the sinking ship of the Pac-12 and joining uh, the Big 12. A lot of flux. They just lost their football coach to Washington. Uh, so there's a brand-new football coach who was hired by a guy who's no longer there. Uh, the basketball team is, you know, good, uh, has a lot of history, uh, certainly better than Missouri's basketball team this year. Uh, but it's it's an athletic program that does not bring a lot to the table and is in hilarious amount of debt and that's that's she chose that she actively chose to go there and i think the the big problem if you want to view it that way is the trend of missouri athletic directors (laughs) quitting retiring firing uh getting away from a zoo because they feel like they can't do what they want to do um you know, I, I'm sure Sam and Josh talked about this on the podcast, but just as a quick recap, you know, Mike Allen stuck around for a very long time, but he got out when he was forced to hire Mike Anderson, or sorry, Kim Anderson. Um, and then he was on once he goes, Mac Rhodes comes in. He barely lasts a year, hires a baseball coach and, and Barry Odom as the football coach, and then chooses to go to Baylor, which just fired their football coach because of a massive sexual assault scandal that was covered up by the football team and the athletic program and the school at large. Mac Rhodes said, no, 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 that's better than Mizzou uh, and chose to go there. Jim Sterk leaves when he has his football uh, candidates rejected by the board of curators. And then they go around him and basically hire the football coach for him. 
And then now we're at a position where Desiree Reed Francois says, hey, everything that we're doing at Mizzou, Mizzou uh, we had a great basketball season last year. We had a great football season this year. Gymnastics is, is recovering and awesome. Volleyball is awesome. Softball is awesome. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go to Arizona. And so when you put all that stuff together, you're like, well, what's, what's the through point here? And I think, you know, obviously context is different for everybody, but it kind of seems like maybe it's the, the company culture. Maybe it's something at the school. I don't know. I'm not in those meetings. Um, but it's just, it, it's not a good look to lose your athletic directors to programs that are in absolute turmoil multiple times. And to publicly go out and say, our athletic director did not hire our football coach, which, by the way, that's the one hire that you have to make as an athletic director. You have to nail it. And Jim Sturk did not make that hire, so he left. Um, obviously, Nathan, as, as someone, uh, as an employee of the university, um, you have some direct knowledge, working knowledge of some of these people. But, like, is there a point where you are worried about Missouri's ability to make another hire? Or is this just a situation where it's an SEC school with SEC programs, like someone's going to take the job and we're going to be fine? Uh, I with this with this trend cause someone to have to think hard about taking the job. Yeah, I think so. Uh, or maybe do an uh, an extra step of, of diligence um, uh, to to have extra conversations. Yes, but at the bottom line. Uh, there are two two conferences in college that matter. Uh, there are what sixteen plus eighteen, thirty four. Is my math right? Thirty four yep. college teams that are in those conferences. There are thirty four mm-hmm. top of the top Maybe. in jobs, and Mizzou's one of those one of those schools. So, um, there, are there going to be a shortage of people that want to work at an SEC school? No, I don't think so. Um, especially the, the direction that it seems like college athletics is going. It's just going to get more top heavy and more toppy and right heavy. And right now we're at the top uh, or in the top area. So um, there, there's not going to be shortage of people that want this job, um, but is it going to limit the pool to people who know what they're getting it, getting into uh, probably um, or people that should want to know what they're getting into and, and take that extra step. Um, so it, it might cross a couple names off the list, but I, I think we'll still be able to find somebody that's, that's, Baseline competent. I hope. I hope sure. it's better than that. I hope it's someone that has a direct has has a vision, has a direction. Uh, Reed Francois had a had a certainly had a vision and had a direction, um, and she's not the first AD to leave, as you mentioned. There's uh, several a line of them that have left. So um, she she took the job and she saw something that was uh, exciting and, and something to build on here. And I, I don't see any reason why they can't find someone else like that at this point. Yeah, I mean, at some point, there's also just that's what the money's for. And you're going to be making one and a quarter million dollars. Um, I'm sure someone at, you know, not to pick on these schools, but like a Buffalo, <laughs> Kent State, a hell, I mean, you know, Arizona State, uh, you know, Colorado, like, you can go, hell yeah, I'll, I'll take a huge increase and work at a prestigious, you know, athletic conference. I'll do that. I, I agree with you on that. I, I just, here, here is my request, and I, I wrote a very silly article uh, today at rockandnation.com if you want to check it out, um, about the Board of Curators process as I see it. But frankly, I think what what the, the search committee, the board needs to do is just be very frank with what they are looking for. And I'm not going to put words in their mouth. I am, going to, I am going to come up with a job description based off of their history. And it seems to me that the athletic director at the University of Missouri needs to be someone who is willing to spend on football a lot, spend on basketball a little, and then just don't care about any of the non-rev sports. Don't do it. And I think, you know, the the thing, it seems, as we're connecting dots, and again, we're not in these meetings, but it seems like uh, the oversight committee that was created two weeks ago by the board to oversee financial spending in the athletic department, which correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure that's what an AD is supposed to do, um, that was created in the wake of a uh, facilities pitch meeting with the board where there's a ton of money on the table that they wanted to invest in facilities across all Missouri sports. We knew there was a ton, you know, baseball, softball, volleyball, like there's a bunch of things on the docket that she came into when that meeting 
And what we got out of it was North Zone renovations. And then immediately, oh, here's an oversight committee. And then, oh, by the way, now she's gone. So if you connect the dots, it kind of seems like if you are going to spend money on on volleyball or any non-rev sport, we're going to be upset. And we don't think we want you to do that. Um, so just be honest with your job description. We need someone to come in to spend on, raise money, manage the, the athletic department, uh, invest in football and a little bit in basketball and nothing else. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to play the politics game here, but all of the members of the board have been appointed by Republican governors. And we know that modern Republicans are very much in favor of, we're going to spend on stuff that gives us a return on investment. Whether you agree with that or not, that is that typically that is typically the conservative view of money, of investment, which is fine. There's only one thing that gives you a return on investment in sports, and that's football. Basketball, if you're lucky. Um, so if those are the people that you need to impress, yeah, don't come at them with volleyball renovations. Don't come at them with swimming and diving coaches that make, you know, more than you know two hundred thousand dollars you just don't do that that's not going to fly they're going to get really mad and kind of micromanage you a little bit so my request is just be honest with what you want find an athletic director who's good with investing in football who can't touch the football coach by the way we'll get to that in a second um maybe do a little do enough in basketball and then that's it um but like hearst you know from from the football standpoint you know what does this mean for eli drinkwitz because again this is rock and radio's football podcast we are dealing with a guy who was picked by this board or members of this, some more members of this board and has the backing of the president. And so the athletic director is going to be coming in to a guy who's, would you say untouchable at this point? Unless he like loses a bunch of games. Like clearly the athletic director can't mess with Eli Drakewitz, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, he's kind of the golden boy, I think of the, of the curators at the moment. And you know, he's earned that at this point. Um, uh, to show he's proven that they they were right to to go with him at least you know in the short term. So, um, I would be very surprised if if anyone that comes in um is is ha- is able to or even would, would want to if they were smart go after him anytime soon. I mean, we're we're looking at we'd have to have multiple poor years or knock on wood some big scandal or something to yeah. to really put his um. But his job in jeopardy, and he, I mean, he's he has uh, earned that uh, to a degree with yeah. the success that he's had and the trajectory that the program seems to be on. Um, I think that's something that an incoming athletic director is going to have to understand and know. They're going to have to look at the history. If they're smart, they're going to see how he got hired um, and understand that, uh, understand the dynamics there. I'm not really sure, kind of reading between the lines, just, you know, whispers and rumors. I'm not sure that Eli and... Uh, Reed Francois had the tightest relationship and yeah. it might've been because he felt very safe with, with the board of curators. Um, and she wasn't necessarily as on board with him at, at, at him, at least early on in her tenure as the board of curators were. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not convinced that she wouldn't have moved on from him a couple of years ago, uh, if she had full support of the, of the leadership. Of the point. Yeah. Maybe not, maybe, maybe not. She would have at least, I, I think she would have at least considered it because he wasn't her hire. Um, and we, it's, it's always the case where the, the, the hire that the AD makes, uh, that's going to be their guy. Um, because that's kind of who they've, who they've staked their claim on and he wasn't her hire. So if he fails, she doesn't, she, if he were to fail, she wouldn't want him to take her down with him. Um, but obviously that didn't happen. Uh, a few more powerful people than her, you know, wouldn't have let that happen. I don't know. And I don't know how far down the road that got, but that's something that she uh, certainly had to have understood as far as, you know, who, uh, who is really driving the boat on a lot of those things. Yeah. I don't know if you're just, if you're at a point where your teams are doing well and you're raising a ton of money and you still leave, it just, that's a very clear indicator. There's, there's issues that we don't see. It's flat out. And I think a lot of the blows that we did know, we just kind of wrote off at the time because it didn't seem significant. Uh, but you put them all together and, and there you go. You know, with the fact that Eli Drinkwitz got extended after 2022, which was very weird. Um, now, obviously it worked out, but that was clearly, uh, that was not that was not Desiree's re-Francois's call. Uh, it seems that that was the curator or the president's call to extend him there. So then she turns around and sees her basketball coach that she hired 
go to the NCAA tournament with a team that was just absolute dog crap the year before. She goes, well, well, we got to extend them. Uh, and then he turns around, wins eight games so far. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the the financial investment in things that are not football, uh, which causes an oversight. Like, you, you can see, you can talk yourself into how this went down. And you can talk to yourself into how someone who has found success and is a hot ticket uh, feels disrespected uh, and micromanaged at, at a level that we really shouldn't be being micromanaged. Um, I get it. I get it. I think it was just it was a terrible internal situation that led to uh, Missouri losing a very competent athletic director. Um, now, athletic directors are are not irreplaceable. You know, it's not that long ago that Jim Sterk, who was you know a quieter Mike Alden, I think, was was smashing fundraising records of his own. Um, it, it can be done, um, but. It is just weird. It's it's surprising. I think shock and surprise is, is kind of the feeling that we all have that it came now with this athletic director, with these teams doing what they're doing. I think that's that's the biggest takeaway. So um, I know that there's already been names floated around. I'm not an athletic director guy. I'm sure there's tons of branches on the Alden tree that they're going to look at. Ren Baker at West Virginia. West Virginia's got some money problems of their own, boy. You want to know why they didn't fire Neil Browns? Because they couldn't afford to do it. You know why they have an interim basketball coach? Because they couldn't afford to hire one. Like, they they got some money problems over there. So, if I'm Ren Baker, the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Uh, And it's, you know, you take the call probably. Um, I know there's other alum, um, but like, in the end, I I'm not going to care too much because a lot of what an athletic director does is behind the scenes that we don't really see. Uh, we just see the fan output and the product on the field. Is there is there someone that you got tabbed or a name that you're kind of flowing out there like, oh, I'd be really curious to see if they give them a shot? It's it's all the names that I think other people have, have thrown out there. And a lot of the reason is, you know, are there – are there maybe second-in commands at other SEC schools that should be taken to take a look at? Absolutely. Sure. I don't know those people. I mean, I, I couldn't list off who the, the the senior vice athletic director for fundraising is at Georgia or Alabama or someplace, someone that's looking to take the next step. I'm sure there's a lot of good people in that area as well that, you know, I that's not anybody I know. Um, Ren Baker, I think, would be a solid choice. I heard Laird Veach's name quite a bit. He's the Memphis AD. I yep. just spent some time here as well. Um, you know, I, to, I don't. I'm not really sure how many big hires he's made. He, I, I think he hired Anthony Hardaway uh, as a basketball coach there uh, um, hear, a couple uh, of years Chris ago. Jackson, um, baseball coach too. Yeah, he it does, he did hire Carrick Jackson, uh, who then we stole. So there, there's there's one connection there yeah. as well. I'm not sure if the baseball coach is going to be a big driver for making no, making that no, kind of I don't decision. Think so. uh, but um, you know, he, uh, there's at least some common common ground there too. So I mean, I think he would he seems like he would be a competent choice as well. Yeah. Beyond that, there's there's a lot of people, and we're just going to have to wait till we hear some more solid reporting about who they're actually talking. If they if there is going to be one, because we didn't hear a word of uh, uh, France, Reed Francois's um, interview process or anything at Dallas on Boom. Yeah. His house was made, so I'd yeah. imagine I'd imagine Choi and the curators will keep it pretty quiet. Probably, and, and you know, I also feel like it's got to be a quick turnaround because you know you're in the middle of two, three seasons right now um, of teams that are are worth tracking. You might have a firing coming down. I don't know if they're going to make the interim AD do. You know, tell Robin to to thanks for the for the time and investment, but we're we're going to say see you later. It's be really weird to bring on an athletic director and immediately fire somebody, but I I don't know. Maybe that's less taboo than it sounds. Um, but it, I do feel like they need to move quick. Um, you know, it, 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 in the middle of the summer is one thing. During the close of the spring, uh, the spring sports seasons is, is quite a bit different. So, um, yeah, we'll see. We, we haven't heard anything. It's still fresh, I'm sure, for everybody. So, um, when you hear anything, we'll let you know. But, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it's going to be pretty – pretty tight to the chest and we're not going to really hear anything until basically the hire has been made. So good luck, Desiree. We're going to miss one you. question. I had one thing that's going to really might throw not necessarily into things into chaos, but think about this, the stadium renovations that they have gotten approved. They just got oh. a $50 million gift support. Those, mm-hmm. those are clearly going to be kind of built in the combination. I'm sure of Drinkwitz and Reed vision and identity an idea but there haven't been any kind of plans or renderings that have been released so 
Sure. I, I, I still think they're going to do something there. Um, for sure. They've got, the, they've got a big chunk of change to do it, but is that going to look the same way that, that her plan was, is that going to yeah. have to go back to the drawing board when the new person is in, yeah. uh, and completely redesign that or just go with what they already had in the hopper. I, I don't know, but it might, I would not be shocked if it delayed at least that project for, for a little while, just so the new person can get in and see what's going on and get their, at, at the very least their thumbs up, if not get their yeah. fingerprints on it in some way. That's a good point. Although it is football and Eli Drinkwitz basically calls his shot in football. So maybe they don't need to wait for the guy to the new person to sign. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. If he's on board, I mean, I imagine they still need, because they're going to spend more than $50 million on this thing. Yeah, they still right. need to raise more money for it. Um, so that new person's going to have to get in there yeah. and start, you know, kissing babies and shaking hands to, yeah. to bring in more money. Speaking of which, how would you like feel if you gave $62 million to the program and then found out two, two weeks later that the person that, that you took the money from is, is heading out? I, I, I might be a little, be a, a little, little weird, miffed, but yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I, a little I, weird. <laughs> Very. Yeah. Uh, well, you it depends on how the conversations go down. You know, if she was, if Desiree was the driver and you feel like you got fleeced, then yeah, that's weird. If it was a group pitch, if every coach came in and had, you know, dinner with you or, you know, brought you to, to court side or like, I don't, I don't know how it goes, but, um, I, yeah, I just, the, the way that money gets raised, I have no idea. Uh, but, uh, I, on the surface, it feels very weird to cut, cut a $62 million check and, and that person goes bye-bye. Very odd. Um, anyway, let's just keep the bummer train going. Um, because we had <laughs> really what we were going to talk about this show was going to be, uh, before yesterday was talking about Sam Horn, our boy Sam, uh, injured himself playing baseball yet again and uh, had Tommy John surgery. Now, for all of you who don't know, Tommy John surgery is a revolutionary surgery that was, what, 20, 30 years ago um, by a guy named Tommy John uh, or the doctor worked on Tommy John. And basically it's it's to fix your pitching arm. Right. It's to it's to move muscles and tendons around to make sure that you can pitch uh, your, elbow. your elbow. Okay. To make sure that you can pitch long term after yeah. rupturing, what is that? What is that tendon? Is it the the UCL, UCL? which is basically the ACL, the ACL of your elbow? So it's yeah. called a UCL, arterial yeah. crucial ligament. Yeah. So they replace that baby, and then you can pitch again. Um, but the downside is that the recovery time is like what, twelve months, fifteen months, something like that. Um, it's like 10, 10 if you're lucky, from what I understand. Um, but yeah, it's not great. It's not great. So so Sam misses all of baseball this year. He's going to miss all of football this year. And he's probably going to miss all of baseball next year, too, in 2025, which means he could potentially miss all of spring ball for football, too. Um, dual sports in the NIL era, man. Like, I, I don't know. Brett Norfleet came here as a football baseball player. And he very quickly said, Nope, football for me, you know, Sam, he is a better baseball player or he's a better uh, prospected baseball player than he is a football player. So I don't blame him for, for continuing on the baseball track. But the second time he got injured playing the sport, young man, like that, that sucks. Uh, I, I don't, I don't really know what to make of this. Obviously he's the, he's going to be the backup no matter what. Uh, but you'd like to have an insurance piece in case Brady gets injured, which he tends to do. Um, I don't know. What, what were your initial thoughts when you saw Sam Horn had uh, the Tommy John surgery? I mean, it really sucks. It just really sucks. I, uh, as a, as a Mizzou baseball fan, I was devastated because I thought he was going to play a big role or could have played a big role on the team this year. And uh, not only for his own, you know, benefit in terms of raising his, his draft status for next year, because he's not draft eligible until after next year uh, in baseball. And a football for that matter, I guess. But, um, uh, but for him, yeah, for the team, he would have played a big role. Uh, he looked really awesome in the four innings that he pitched last year before yeah. he uh, had a had an injury as well. Which kind of reading the tea leaves looks like it might have been something related to this last year, and he decided to rest it and let it hopefully hope it healed. And maybe any by the time he started working, uh, ramping back up back up for the the spring season again, it it either snapped on him or just never went away and they finally decided to 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 just cut make make the decision but um yeah it sucks and, and 
you know, for, for football, it, it's a, it's a loss, but it's a much more of a loss on the depth side. We have such a promising, promising season potentially ahead of us. Uh, and you know, if it, uh, at this point now, all it takes is one bad step from the quarterback and you're in a world of hurt. I mean, you never want to lose your starting quarterback, no matter what, no matter what. Um, but if you go from having a solid entrenched backup to, uh, you know, we've got, um, someone who threw, who started 10 games for Southern university last year, who's probably our, our next best bet at this point. Uh, and he didn't play, you know, no offense. I'm glad you're up with us, Harold, but you didn't play the greatest, uh, while you were at Southern. So, yep. um, it, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it, it makes me way more nervous. Uh, I'll say that, um, in a perfect world, will it really a matter affect the football, the team at all? No, because in the perfect world, Brady will be, be healthy, uh, the whole time and not, and not miss any, any time, uh, for any kind of injuries, but he really likes to throw his body in there and just get absolutely destroyed, uh, yeah. so, for, for the team, all for the team, but, um, that, that he might have to figure out a way to play a little differently. Um, if he's going to be the only option we have. Yeah. I mean, he's no Jaden Daniels who suffered from a serious case of Wiley Coyote run as hard as you can to the wall, but like, let's face it. He hurt his shoulder in 22 and he hurt his knee in 23. Now, 23 didn't really stop him. Uh, You're not going to get him to say, I'm hurt, I'm sitting out. Like, that's not Brady Cook's thing. Um, It's also not how Eli Drinkman's manages his quarterbacks. But at the same time, yeah, you would have had a third year in the system backup quarterback with Sam Horn. And regardless of what you think his caliber as a football player is, that is a valuable piece. That is someone who's been in the meetings, been in the practices, run this sort of thing for three years. You would have had that. I'm not saying it would have been the same as Brady Cook, but that's so much better than freshman or, yes, Harold Blood from Southern. Eddie, I mean, not only has he been in the system, he knows the receivers, he knows the alignment. I mean, he's got relationships with all those guys. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, that 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 is a big, big thing about bringing in a new quarterback, trying to just develop relationships with the people that you're that are going to be protecting you, that are you're going to be throwing to. Um, it, it, takes a, it takes a while to develop something, but put that kind of relationship so you're all on the same page. Um, so on top of the fact that they may not know the, the playbook. So, I mean, you got a freshman yeah. coming in and Aiden Glover that um, he is practicing the spring, which is great. Uh, he's going to get a lot of reps because there's not a whole lot of other <laughs> folks that are going to get those reps. Um, but that's all, that would be a lot to ask of a three-star kid who was a developmental prospect to begin with yeah. um, he, he, to come in and, and try to win a, win a second string job. I mean, that's just kind of, setting him up to fail and that's the last thing we want to do with a guy like that yeah i mean i i put it in the you know the quarterback postmortem i looked at <clears throat> excuse me at his performance last uh the last year in high school and he, he's a good quarterback but like he just was not asked to throw the ball a lot um he was kind of he was he was a better runner by a little bit um but like you what you saw him do in high school does not give you solid thoughts oh yeah he would absolutely win the backup job his first year. Like you said, that's not something you want to make your freshman do. And I really don't think that's something that he can do. No, no offense to him. It is tough to play quarterback in the sec just flat out. Um, so even if you think you're ready, you're probably not. Um, and, and so you can't, you can't throw him in there like that. So really the answer is going to be the transfer portal. In, in my eye, if you want, if you want to feel comfortable, you need to bring in a guy who understands that he's probably not going to start this year, but could probably start in the following year. And right now, now obviously the, the the portal opens back up in May, so everyone who's in there right now are not the only people in there. But other than like uh, the Arizona State kid, Conway, or uh, the broken Jeff Sims late of Georgia Tech and Nebraska, who's just never been uh, able to match his, his four-star potential out of high school, Boy, it is slim pickings in the portal right now, and uh, if you want to get someone, it's going to have to be after spring practices, which also sucks for development of everything you already talked about. Yeah, I I, I think Conover at Arizona State might might be a decent option. I, I don't know really know what he's looking for. He he's a four star. Uh, was four stars out of high school. Hasn't really played. He's went to BYU. Uh, to start and then quickly transferred to Arizona State and then real, realized he was going to be behind Jalen Rashada. Um, so he's back in the portal again. He hasn't really seen the field, but he's got that uh, that pedigree. I think that would be 
nice to have, but we don't really know collegially what how he would be. One other name I got to throw out at you that I discovered yesterday. I'm writing a piece actually about how they um, that should be up on Rock M Nation maybe tomorrow if you're if you're listening to this on Wednesday, maybe Wednesday or Thursday. Um, Gutter Gundy is back in the portal. Really? Uh, yes, that Gundy, Mike Gundy, Mike Gundy's son. Uh, he uh, Didn't he just transferred. transferred? Out, uh, he did. He committed to Ohio, and then about two weeks later, he was back in the portal again. So, um, okay, I, I, he hasn't played much. There's yeah. a reason he was leaving his dad's team because he couldn't if he could if he couldn't get on the field for his dad's team. Is he going to get on the field at an SEC team? I probably not, but. You know, he has played some. It's mainly been in mop up, uh, mop up duty, and I would think it, he's looking for a place he can go in and start immediately. But that's that, that he's the only other name that you would have ever even knew. You know, knew that that was a, a guy that you'd ever heard of before. That's in the in the in the portal at the moment. So there there are going to be some some guys that go in there once it reopens here in the spring. Uh, there's going to be someone that loses a loses a, a battle with a starting battle with whoever else they're competing with or someone that uh, just, you know, falls out of favor with the coaching staff or they do something that pisses him off or whatever. So there's going to be some options. Um, and with, with Horn's injury and the fact that I, I, I think at least that his future is in baseball um, in terms of professionally, I would be a little surprised if he did come back to the football team. So you're looking at offering a guy, Hey, here's a real chance to start. I mean, assuming cook, doesn't come back for his fifth, sixth year. Who even knows anymore? I think he has this year and next year. I'd be a little surprised if he came back for both. But you're you're promising a guy to have a real shot at being a starting quarterback in the SEC in 2025. Um, so uh, th- 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 we, this would be this would be a decent landing spot for a guy that is looking to maybe he would have to be someone that has at least two, if not three, years of eligibility left. Because no guy with one year left is going to do a Jack Abraham uh, and come here to not play. Um, like Jeff Sims, I mean, he's got one year left. He's actually put up a lot of numbers. He started for three years for Georgia Tech, uh, has 4,500 passing yards, uh, but he's only got one more year le- left. So he, there's no way he's going to come here just to sit. He did that in Nebraska. He could have just stayed in Nebraska if he uh, was going to sit behind, hit, sit behind the starter. So. Um, it's got to be a Jake Garcia type guy who is still has two or three years left, has played a little bit enough to put something on tape to get Drinkwitz interested. Um, I mean, I think, I think uh, Jake's probably kicking himself <laughs> at this point for, for maybe being a little hasty. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, that's the, that's the game. I mean, again, no disrespect to Jake Garcia, but he did end up at East Carolina. Like there weren't a lot of, power five programs looking to bring him on so i i don't know i i i don't think the i'll just say the the guy that eli Drinkwitz eventually gets is not in the portal right now you're not going to get like a cam ward or a dj uyagalele like you're not going to get a splashy transfer quarterback unless like arch manning for some reason decides to leave and for whatever reason the manning's okay him playing for Eli Trinquitz and Kirby Moore. I you're not gonna it's not gonna be that. It's gonna be a like you said, a really, really young blue chipper who's impatient or a pretty good experience, like three star guy who tore it up in the Mac or the Mountain West and is like, hey, I wanna see if I can, you know, if I can do it here or like a backup, like a like a really experienced backup who couldn't beat out the the young guy or something that came in. So I think whatever the quarterback that they eventually get, the fan base is going to feel underwhelmed. Um, but you're not looking for a splashy portal entry now. You're looking for the guy in the future and to create that competition once Brady Cook leaves, which, yeah, I think he's, regardless of what happens this year, I think he's probably going to go. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not worried about it. Uh, the tamper master, Eli Drinkwitz, can go find whoever – and I'm sure it's going to be great, but um, I don't know. It's just, it sucks right now. And it sucks that it happened now because spring practice, you know, Eli Drinkwitz likes to do it early and that person's not going to be here. So that sucks. Sucks big time. Yeah. It, I, it, the one positive out of this is he will have chances to evaluate the guys that he has on the roster now. Um, 
uh, they're going to get a lot of second string reps. Gaden Glover is going to get a lot of good reps to learn the system. Harold Blood, they're going to be able to know right now. I mean, he's a walk on. I think they already know what they've got with him, but he's they're going to be at least be able to see it uh, a lot because um, there's really only there's those three and then another walk on Brett Brown as the other quarterback on, yeah, the, yeah. on the roster. And I, you know, I, yeah. I, he's going to be way down at the bottom of the list. So it's going to be Glover and blood getting a lot of, uh, a lot of reps. So they're going to be able to evaluate. They can see, Hey, maybe, maybe Harold blood comes in and blows him away. And he was in a terrible system at Southern. I, I don't know. And maybe they, they uh, feel more comfortable with that. Most likely they are going to decide and they sh- probably should, even if they do like Aiden or, or Harold, um, they probably should bring in somebody else just to have a fourth person there because there are plenty of plenty of uh, college football teams that have ended up playing their third or fourth string quarterback at some point. Mm-hmm. God forbid, yeah. uh, but it has certainly happened. Uh, you, you at the very least need a warm body in there uh, that is, can take a snap uh, and catch it because who knows where that snap's going to be, um, and then uh, uh, you know hand it off. So yeah. Well, that, that leads us into our final topic of the day, which is the spring practice football. We're not going to talk about quarterbacks. We just talked about quarterbacks. But there's still a lot of interesting kind of notes and storylines that we're looking forward to. Uh, maybe we'll find out. Maybe we won't. You know how historically clandestine these spring practices can be. But uh, there's, a, there's a new D.C. There's a lot of new faces on defense. There's new faces in the running back room. There's... There's a lot of newness for a team that we feel pretty confident is can make a run uh, to the new 12-team playoffs. So let's, we just kind of want to go over our storylines and kind of talk a little bit about what we're looking for um, as we head into spring. So, so Nathan Hurst, what is, what is your number one story heading into spring football that you would like to hopefully see a couple bits thrown out there to help you answer your question? Um, I think the number one, one storyline has to be uh, – the defense, Corey Batoon, new defensive coordinator coming in. How is he going to teach a system? How fast is he going to be able to teach a system? How much is he going to change about the existing system? Um, that, now, some of that stuff we will be able to see at least a little bit of at the spring game in terms of, you know, how many does he use an even front and odd front? How many linebackers does he like to throw out there? A lot of that's going to be pretty vanilla because they don't like to show anything that they can on on there. But we might be able to take a little, a few, few cues from that um but then you know even beyond how, how much is he actually going to change schematically but is he going to change the terminology and the verbiage Nominees. that's already been used uh, that's a big question that's not something we're ever probably ever going to really know uh, but that is probably the hardest hardest thing to to transition if you are completely changing how what you call things even just the positions on the field is D- dalen carnell carnell going to play the star position we're mm-hmm. not even going to have a different name or is there going to be? Are they going to get rid of that position altogether? You know, there's a whole lot of whole lot of questions um, about how he's going to implement it. Um, he's been to a lot. He's he's worked at a lot of places. He's implemented a lot of systems. He's been a first time coach at a lot of places. So uh, this isn't his first time to bring in a new system. Um, but uh, it'll be really curious to see how how fast and up how quickly he can get those guys up and running and on the same page. I think um, you know for. For the terminology, anyway, like on that piece, I think it was I think it was Nick Saban, and I'm sure it gets allocated to a bunch of different coaches at a bunch of different times. But like, if I remember correctly, Nick Saban said it's easier to teach one millionaire a bunch of different words than it is to teach a bunch of 18 to 22 year olds a bunch of different words. Basically, saying you know, you can run, you can run your defense as you see fit. You can run, you know, call the plays. You can deploy the guys. But like, if you're coming in, if you're coming into here, then you need to call it this way. If you are going to whatever you do, whatever you want to do, you have to use the same names, the titles, the the verbiage that we use. Um, just because we're not going to ask, you know, what fifty, you know, fifty six, fifty seven defensive guys who only got you know a handful of weeks to practice, you know, a bunch of time to, to prep it's easier for you to come in and change than it is for them to come in and change. So, yeah, from the verbiage standpoint, I think it's always going to be the case where it's the defensive coordinator that has to change uh, what he calls stuff, but how he deploys it and who he puts where and, like, how they how they act, that's that's always going to be the different part. So I, I agree with you on that. And that, that is definitely going to be the most pressing one. 
Um, other than defense, Corey Batoon and how he's going to do this, uh, what else are you looking at as far as like big storylines? Um, I think the second question uh, uh, that really pops up, we've got uh, on the offensive side, wide receiver room set, quarterback room set, two huge holes on the left side of the offensive line. Who fills those in? We have Caden Green, big time transfer from Oklahoma, um, who it seems like when he chose Mizzou, a big part of that was the fact that we have a left tackle spot. That's why. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does uh, does he nail that down? Uh, do we switch sides with our the right tackle? Um, and he hop over there. Um, we know Connor Tolson's pretty locked in at, at center at this point, I'd have to imagine. Um, but the left guard spot, is that going to be someone that's already on the on the roster? Mitch Walters, Logan Reichert, an incoming freshman. Does, do one of those guys really impress? Um, there's there's a few uh, a few guys that I'm pretty excited about, at least for the future. I don't know if they'll be up and ready to go, um, you know, for August. Uh, but um, there, there's a chance that one of those guys could could come in and fill that left guard spot. So who, the first team offensive line that we see in the spring game, is that going to be the definite starters in August? I, I don't know. Maybe, and maybe there's a chance there's not. But I'm really interested to see uh, what that what their answers are there, um, and if they can if they can figure that out early on, that would go a long way in kind of stabilizing that that part of the team. Yeah, no, you're you're right. I, I love I love offensive line talk. Uh, I get really geeked up about that, and there are some really interesting options. But the left side of the line with Javon Foster and Xavier Delgado was the strength of last year's line. Um, not to take anything away from Armand Nimbu or Cameron Johnson or Connor Tolleson, but like they ran left when they needed to get it, and they got it. Uh, especially against Ohio State, Xavier Delgado absolutely bullied a bunch of four and five star guys. Like that, w- you're going to miss that. You're going to miss that experience. You're going to miss that discipline. Um, no matter how good Caden Green is, like he, and he could be otherworldly. You still need two guys on the left hand side to do it. Um, you know, Tristan Wilson, Logan Riker, like you mentioned, obviously experience plus talent like those, both of those guys are maulers you would think one of those could slot in but you're not for sure um and maybe you got to go to the portal and get another offensive lineman i don't know uh, you know mitchell Walter, walters has been here for a while uh javen richardson the juco product who didn't see the field um you know who hasn't seen the field all that much uh maybe he can come in and make it make a make some kind of noise or be a serviceable backup like i don't know they mizzou got away with playing like basically five linemen last year kind of six but basically five and they got really lucky in that aspect and I, you really can't count on that happening again no matter how good they are so you might need to add a person there because again the running game is the thing that makes everything go and Eli Drinkwitz offense and incurring more offense and that leads me to like my number one thing which is the running backs um, you don't just replace a Cody Schrader, which is a crazy statement for me to say out loud, considering what I thought of that guy even 12 months ago. Um, but he was such a unique talent, not the biggest, not the fastest, not the strongest, but just worked harder than anybody and had, this is so anti-analytical of me, but just had the it factor. Uh, he could close it out with his endurance and his strength. So like, I don't know how you replace that. Obviously Missouri's going to try to do that with two different guys. Uh, Nate Knoll out of Appalachian State and Marcus Carroll out of Georgia State. Both of them great runners on their own, thrive running on the inside, which is something Cody Schrader did. But how do they do with the uh, zone blocking scheme? Marcus Carroll had a little bit of that at Georgia State. Do they take to that? How do they take the SEC? How do they do it behind whatever line we put up? Like there's, there's so many questions around the running game that we had last year but ended up having the answers already. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel like we've ever entered an Eli Drinkwitz football season with a definitive answer in the running game. There's always been a question in offensive line or running back. And this is another one of those question marks. And I just, I don't know how to feel about either one of those units. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really interested. They, they obviously thought that they needed some more help in that room. I mean, losing 1600 yards of rushing, it's got leaves a big hole in your, in your running back room. Uh, not to mention then your second string uh, heading out as well, Nate Pete. Um, you know there was a lot of talk last year of Jamal Roberts. He's the next big thing. He's gonna be, he's gonna be great. And he got, I think he got one carry last year, and it was negative the, one like, yards. It was great in the Arkansas game, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in like the in the garbage time of the garbage time at the end of that game. Um, now, 
I don't know what that if that says anything about about him. I think I might say some things about some of the other guys that are already in the room. Um, that but bringing in Carol and, and Noel, so not just one but two guys from the portal means I think those are going to be the guys that uh, that Drinkwitz is telling us he's he's going to be going with. I kind of like I kind of like the idea uh, or of a little bit of thunder lighting. I mean, Carol's not a big guy. He's not necessarily Larry Roundtree. He's not going to run you over, but he's a little more between the tackles than than Noel is. He seems to be more the the the, the, the fast hitter lightning hit the outside zone and, and be gone. So I could see him using him a little bit like he used Roundtree and Beatty back in 2020, um, where maybe Carroll gets the, gets the bulk of the carries, uh, but then, and save Noel for those, uh, you know, 10 carries a game where he's full speed. He hits a hole and he, cause that, that dude's fast. I mean, I, I can't say much of, I don't know if he's got great vision if he holds out of the ball well, I don't know. But I do know, watching his highlights, he runs really fast. Um, so they can find <laughs> yeah. the right time in the game to get him in, get him the ball in the right spots. He could he could go. It's funny because, yeah, Nate Knowles built like Tyler Beatty, like a lighter Tyler Beatty. And Marcus Carroll is like a taller version of Cody Schrader. And yet Carroll historically has been better in like the passing game and Noel just hasn't really been targeted all that much. I don't know if that's just how App State runs their offense or, like, they just didn't trust him. Um, or maybe Marcus Carroll was so good that they had to throw him the ball. I, I don't really know the context of how they got the targets, but Carroll, you know, had 31 targets, 23 catches, and 234 yards last year. That's 74% catch rate uh, and 10.2 yards per catch. And Nate Noel had 20 targets, 16 catches, 86 yards, which 80% catch rate is good, but 5.4 yards per catch isn't super great. So, like... The point, to your point, they got in two guys and like, one of these guys is going to figure this out. One of these guys is going to make it. And that's not even counting, like you said, Jamal Roberts. That's not even counting Tavoris Jones, who has the blue chip pedigree. We've just never, we've barely seen him. And then, of course, Kawan Lacey, which was the signing day steal, uh, taking him away from Ole Miss and bringing him into Mizzou. At some point, one of those guys is going to make it. And they got the experience and they have the talent. I don't know which one's going to win out, but historically it, it seems to be the old guys, right? That's that's all Eli Drinkwitz plays. Yeah, well, he goes with the guys that he trusts trusts to run in the right way, to uh, pass block, to uh, not fumble. And typically the, the, the older guys are the guys that get that stuff figured out sooner uh, sooner than the young guys. Um, so I, 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 Carol's a guy that's done that for four, three, four years already. So it seems like he's going to be at least entering spring going to be the, be the top, the top choice there. But you know, who knows who sees, I mean, Kawhi Lacey could show up and just absolutely blow people away and make it impossible Please. to keep him off the field, which would be great. Please. Yes. Um, I, I, I don't know if that, I don't know if that would happen. And I, I think Drinkwitz is very hard to convince that you have to leave a freshman off the field or have, you can't leave a freshman off the field. Um, but it's, it, you know, we'll see is his running back usage, usage historically has been, very uh, interesting. Interesting. It works. It usually works, but it's always been very interesting. Yeah. So what's the uh, what's the last thing that you're looking for as we head into uh, spring football here? Um, so my my last thing is which of the freshmen we're speaking of freshmen, which of the freshmen that are on campus now and taking part in spring practice, which one of those is going to uh, to transition the fastest? Who's going to really get themselves worked into that two deep? Uh, we had several last year that got quite a bit of good playing time. Um, uh, so I, 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 of the six that are coming in or that we'll be practicing, uh, we got linebacker Brian Huff, Aiden Glover, quarterback. We've talked about him already. Three offensive linemen, Taylor Chandler, mm-hmm. Ryan Jost, uh, Caleb Pyfrog, uh, and then uh, Cameron Keys, the defensive yeah. back. Nice. Um, just looking at the looking at the holes on the roster and, and who we've lost, uh, most likely, I would think it'd be one of those three line offensive linemen um, that might have the chance to to squeeze in there with with the the two giant holes on the left side. Um, there's just a lot of upward mobility there. Um, Cameron Keys, I, I, I liked him when we when we got him. I think he's a really interesting guy. I think there's a lot of folks higher than him on the depth chart um, that have already proven themselves at this point. Um, so I'm not sure if he'll have the best chance to, to get a lot of significant playing time. But, um, but it would probably be one of the, well, it's a lemon, but you never know. Brian Huff, uh, Brian Huff's a linebacker coming in. Uh, we, we, we may be talking about the linebackers here in a little bit, uh, but that there's a, there's a chance there that 
he wows uh, he wows folks as well. Yeah, Cameron Keys was he corner or safety? He was a corner, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure it was it was a cornerback. But you know, looking at at high school film too, you never know. I mean, if it's a really big cornerback, yeah. maybe he gets switched to safety. If he's a really small safety, maybe they move him around. Yeah, I, I never really trust exactly it, for for the most part, unless it's like an Ennis Rakestraw where you know exactly where he's going to line up when, when when he gets when he gets here. I, I'm pretty sure he played played quarterback if my memory. Yeah, sort of. he's listed as a corner. I mean, Toriano Pride. We are all all assuming he transferred here to play. So let's let's take that corner spot. That one's shut down. Then it's Drayden Norwood, who was a pretty reliable third guy last year. Got a lot of time and you know spelling Ennis Rakestraw. Marcus Clark, who was a very clear cut fourth guy, good. He had one of the few guys with the interception last year, and he had. Got a couple two of them. Got a couple, yeah. So, you know, that's good. But really, you know, then it's like, what, Shamar McNeil, who had uh, 16 snaps, or Nick Deloach, who had zero? Like, if you need to play four, Cameron Keys, man, maybe that's maybe that's your guy. I don't know. Um, that could be interesting. Yeah. I, I like Cameron Keys, too. I, 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 I'm always curious, like, where they slot. Because, like, obviously in high school, you just, you're just so much better than everybody you're playing against. Uh, when you're going on to the next level. Um, and you can see some really good coverage that he could play. He can also hit pretty hard, which was nice. But we also know like they like their corners to hit hard. So I, I don't know where he's going to slot up, but he is an interesting prospect. Um, you mentioned the linebackers. I'm really curious how Mizzou uses their linebackers because, as we know, we saw kind of a purge from that position group. Uh, three losses, if I remember correctly, on top of the fact that we're having a couple go into the NFL draft. Now, you get one coming back. Chuck Hicks comes back for his seventh college football season. Yes, number seven. Uh, and then, of course, you bring in a Corey Flagg from Miami, who kind of feels like that was a uh, Blake Baker move, and then, of course, Blake Baker leaves. But he's still here. Um, and then you have Tristan Newsom, who literally and figuratively exploded in the Ohio State game. It was like the most disruptive piece we had seen all year uh, from that weak side linebacker spot, replacing uh, the injured Tyron Hopper. So you've got three guys. We typically play two. Uh, given the injuries last year, you, you need some backups. But I'm curious, like, how do they deploy these guys? Corey Flagg has some versatility. He's been a hand in the dirt uh, end. He's been uh, dropping coverage linebacker. So he's got he can do a lot of different things. The linebackers are de-emphasized in a 4 5 but they're still very important. So, like, where do they get deployed? How many get used? What's the rotation? I... I I don't know because Chuck Hicks and Tristan Newsom seem to be cut from the same cloth with just aggressive tackler, and you need at least one guy who's kind of like a tackle machine who could just hunt you down like a Chad Bailey. So I don't know. Any thoughts on how you'd like to see them deployed or who you think is going to win the spot there? Yeah, I mean, this will be one of the biggest questions that Virginia's going to have to answer right off the bat is is evaluate who he's got in the room, who he's got coming in, because there's another freshman, Nick Rodriguez, who I think really uh, yeah. highly of. Um, in terms of his possibilities down the road. So and yeah. to, to, they, they're not going to get him till the summer and really not going to get him on the field till August practice. So the chances that a linebacker, uh, you know, of all the positions, that's one of the harder ones to, to get a month of practice and then find yourself high up on the high up on the depth chart. But um, there, that this is one of the positions that was, is really one of the thinnest, I think, in terms of guys that you know can come in and produce. Um, so this would outside of quarterback, this would probably be the top choice to go back into the portal a, a second time here mm. after after spring practice and 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 find somebody. But also that all depends on on how many linebackers he's planning on playing. Yep. Um, is if it's two, you could probably get away with with a Hux or a Hux a Hicks. Um, Chuck Hicks is really what I was trying to say. Uh, Chuck Hicks, Newsom, Flag, kind of trio there. Maybe rotate in. Um, one or two guys. Uh, Sidney Williams played safety, but he played really close to the line of scrimmage a lot. The, the times did. that he was in, uh, that he played in. I mean, is that is that a guy that you try to kind of? Yeah, he's a safety. He's a smaller guy, but do you kind of try to bring him into the box as a as a kind of a, a run stopper there? Uh, if you're, if you know, ideally you'd like to have a bigger guy doing that, but I mean, in in a pinch, maybe maybe something like that. And maybe one of these freshmen, Brian Huff and Rodriguez, both I think have a bright future. So maybe one of those guys uh, makes it makes it an obvious choice. Yeah, yeah. Really curious on that one. And then for me to close it out, 
it's the secondary. And, you know, whether you subscribe to the way I think or not, that's fine. I don't care. But to me, the fact that there's such a hard reset in the defensive secondary and that we're losing a bunch of guys who will definitely get drafted in the NFL is a is a red flag. That is something to be concerned with. Not saying that they haven't gone out and find found replacements. I'm not saying the guys who are still here can't do the job. But typically, if you are resetting your your corners and your safeties, that tends to lead to defensive regression, and that is the you know the defensive side has a lot of lack of production. Um, you're returning from last year as far as like actual field production. Obviously, there's a p- bunch of old guys, um, but it's not going to be as experienced as last year, and so you tend to see that as a trend of defensive regression. So we already talked about the corners. Toriano Pride uh, transferred in from Clemson. You got Drayden Norwood, Marcus Clark, and then a bunch of uh, various levels of freshmen that can fill in behind them. Really, it comes down to safety. Uh, You got Joseph Charleston, who will be coming back for his sixth year in college football. Um, That is a good and bad thing. And again, no disrespect to Joseph Charleston. I think he's a serviceable free safety. I think that's why he's back. He wouldn't be coming back if he could be in the NFL. Just simply put. Um, So he either did not get a good draft grade or did not think he was going to get drafted at all, so he came back for his sixth year. Again, good. You have a guy who with a ton of experience at this level. Bad. He couldn't get drafted in the NFL like his friends could. Okay. So you know he's coming back, which, again, whatever. You have Marvin Burks Jr., who was a a flash player. Uh, He was backing up Jalen Carlos, which means he did not see the field all that much. Uh, But when he was on the field, you know, he's making tackles for loss. He had a sack last year. He's also going to be a second-year player. Second-year players have hiccups. Then you got Dalen Carnell, who's our explosion master. Good and bad. Do not trust Dalen Carnell in coverage. Throw Dalen Carnell into the line and make him go boom and blow stuff up. So, you know, it's you have very defined pieces. Joseph Charleston is your center fielder. Dalen Carnell is your stick of dynamite. Marvin Burks is your, I'm not totally sure what we're going to get, but we like what we saw in small, on small sample sizes. Um, you mentioned Sidney Williams. I thought Travis Johnson was great in a pinch. He did not see the field all that much. So, like, how often do they rotate in? Does Travis Johnson see some time at corner? Because he did play corner at Florida. To your point, does Sidney Williams come in and be like a third man in the box sometimes? Um, how they deploy this secondary and who they deploy is going to be really, really interesting because you need to find a way to mitigate what I view as a weakness due to lack of proven production in a conference that is getting better offensively. And, boy, you can win some shootouts, but you also have to stop the ball at some point, and secondary is the best way to do that. Yeah, they, we've lost a ton of production, a ton of really good players. I mean, probably off of the best secondary that Mizzou's ever had. I, I Certainly yep. since I've yep. uh, followed the team. I mean, yep. I know Roger really was great, but we don't have a huge, long line of incredible secondary uh, secondary guys, uh, yeah. our, my man, Darnell Terrell, not, uh, notwithstanding, um, Philip Roach is another name that, who I think is a, a, at least, uh, the way that like Baker used him exclusively just to blitz. So I, I'm curious to know if his 100%, uh, rate of blitzing, uh, will continue. Um, but technically he's, uh, I, I'm not even sure if he lined up as a quarterback or a safety because I think he was just running after quarterback yeah, no matter what. Just- when he was on the field um but the uh it's not the worst thing in the world when you lose that much production to have a bunch of guys returning that have played now are they were they all starters last year no but all these guys clark norwood charleston carnell trevis johnson Burke, all those guys got good mm-hmm. playing time last year sure. was yep. it as much as as rake straw got was it as much as Amos rain no but they all have seen the field. They've played in big SEC games. They haven't gotten burned too much, right? Um, sure. Too much. Too much. Uh, yeah. Has it happened a little bit? Yes. But yes. Um, but they've played. And so I'm not, Am I? is it a point of interest? Yes. Am I freaking out about how this is going to be the downfall of the defense? Not necessarily. I think that uh, Drinkwitz has done a really, uh, really good job of building up the defensive back room. Um, it has for decades been the weakest position, uh, in my opinion, at, for Mizzou football. That's not yeah, the case anymore. A, lot, a big part of that is the type of player that he has seemed to seem to recruit there. Big guys that can still run. Um, they're going to play well uh, against the run. They're going to tackle. 
Um, they're going to stick to you when they uh, uh, when when they're playing man, which is has at least historically been in the last couple of years been most mostly the case. Um, so, I mean, are they going to be as good? Is this unit going to be as good as they were last year? No, but that's what happens when you lose a first round draft pick and probably in a, a day two, at least one day two, if not two day two draft picks out in your secondary. But this is what what happens when you're good enough to be eleven and two. You lose guys to the draft. This is a good problem to have. Yeah, uh, we want our guys to get drafted and get drafted highly because that means we're going to get the next guys coming in. That's probably one of the big reasons Toriano Pride chose to come back here, Absolutely. besides being close to home. He looked at what what we did with Drake Straw, what we did with uh, Abrams Drain, both guys that were just half of the half of the pedigree that he had coming out of high school, and say, hey, they could, they could do that for a guy who's came in as a kick returner and a wide receiver, and he's going to get drafted. I think I can I can uh, I can do the same thing. So. Yeah. Um, it'll, it'll be a, it'll be growing and it might be one of those things where it takes this unit four or five weeks into the season before they're really clicking on all cylinders, which is fine because if you look at our schedule, the first four weeks of our schedule are the, are the weeks you want them to be, to look yeah. kind of learning on the job. So, yeah. um, it, it'll, it'll be, it'll be interesting, but I'm, I'm not quaking in my boots as far as if this is going <laughs> to be a big issue, but I, 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 I'm curious speaking of spring back to the spring practice. To see who who gets that, who really nails down, because someone's going to nail down the fourth, the the, the safety, the Carlisle spot. Um, is it Burks? Is it Johnson? Is it Williams? Um, so someone's going to someone's going to get that get that position. And then also, Carnell, he's awesome. I love him. Amazing. How does he get used? Because mm-hmm. his position is very specialized, right? As you mentioned, you're not going to want to line him up one on one in man over and over again to cover a guy. And he's not, and he's, uh, he's really fast for how big he is, but he's so big. You're not going to put him deep in center field, um, to be the, be the safety valve back there. So, uh, the way that Blake Baker used it was perfect for his skill set. But is that, is that the vision that Batoon has? Hopefully he watches a lot of film and sees this is how we need to use this guy. And he could be a huge asset to us if we use, if use him this way. But I'll be curious to see, to see how, uh, how that all plays out. Yeah. I like to think Gory Padun is, is no dummy. And obviously there's a bunch of guys on the staff who were there last year and knew exactly how this how this thing went down. So um yeah, there's there's some good questions here. And we're I I love spring football because it gives you like a little glimmer of like, ooh, it's kinda back. They don't ever really learn anything. Um, other than who's gonna hit the portal afterwards, which is a whole other fun little, you know, thing that you can track. But um March 16th is the black and gold game. And of course, last year it got, was it rained out? Was it snowed out? I forget. It was cold out. Cold I think out. It, there was a little bit of ice, but it was, it, it was like 20 degrees that day in Columbia. That's right. uh, I remember it because my chair is right next to my sliding door down here watching March Madness. And I, I anytime I had a bunch of folks over to watch the basketball games and anytime they'd walk, open the door, just blow the, this horrible ice. Yeah. Stench all over me. So not stench, but uh, yeah. yeah, it was very, very cold. So they moved it indoors, and no one was invited except for media. Yeah, um, and even then, they were, I think, very limited in what they could see or cover. Yeah, well, you know, hopefully, it's a little bit better this year. Um, you just can't trust uh, Missouri weather in the spring, whether it's going to be snow or a billion degrees. Who knows? But uh, March sixteenth is is what we're looking at at uh, one o'clock central. So you know. That'll be fun. Get down there and take a look at the team doing warm-ups and, and the most vanilla game plans you possibly can, and, and uh, that'll, that'll be that. But uh, obviously we'll have a show in between then, so we'll have plenty of time to talk about spring football. Uh, but Nathan Hurst, we are done with today's show. What, what, are your, what are your parting shots? We've got Desiree Reed-Francois leaving, Sam Horn breaking stuff on his yeah. arm, and then questions on the team. Give us something to walk away with that makes us happy. Uh, I mean, I'm just excited to actually have foot real sort of real football to talk about once practice gets going. They'll, there will be a little news trickling out. We know that Drinkwitz likes to kind of uh, put the kibosh on a lot of that because it's, you know, Soviet Russia era spy spy stuff going on. If you, if you paid any attention to what was happening in the, in the larger news scape of the uh, of college football this past year, but I, at least we'll have something to talk about. That's not bad stuff. Yeah. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, I mean, I hope we got, Two weeks till the next episode. I, I, I bet we'll have a, a new athletic director uh, this time. Uh, two weeks from now, have someone to talk about. Um, talk about how they how they can help grow the football program even further. So 
we'll just keep our fingers crossed that someone good, someone that um, is capable. They got they got it right last time, um, so I don't think there's any reason that they can't get it right this time. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or rate less. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at Burst Hearst. And, of course, you can follow the Rock M flagship at Rock M Nation and our podcasting outlet at Rock M Radio. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more just like it beamed directly into your personal device, just click the subscribe button below. Uh, and you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for iPhone or the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify. Just search for Rock M Radio. Uh, and if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has uh, coverage of all other teams, Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, uh, NFL, whatever you want uh, to listen and and read about it is a great great network full of really fantastic podcasts so look them up and subscribe uh to any and all of those podcasts uh rock m radio will be back with more episodes coming soon thanks thanks